They have a combined 12 years in the National Football League. They combined for 65 career sacks, 232 tackles, one Pro Bowl selection, and one Employee of the Month award. That's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. It's Train and Gross on the All-AZ Podcast Network. Welcome in episode 102 Train and Gross, B Train, Bertrand Berry, Mike Gross, Sean Crespin. Thanks for finding us. Good to good to have you aboard for the next little while as we jump into NBA playoffs, NFL draft, probably do some pump the brakes, that all the good stuff you come to know and love from us here on the podcast. And we'll let you know because we have to do it this time of year because you might tune in after the fact and wonder what are these knuckleheads talking about. This is coming to you on May 2nd, or recorded on May 2nd, uh, and for the purposes of our conversation, after the Suns lost two games in Denver, Colorado. We'll get to that in a minute, B-Train, but I sent you and Sean a text a couple Saturdays ago, and there's certain things that just bother me, like, and there's this term, it's called bathroom etiquette, right? So I was in a Mm -hmm. restroom, and it was a, a large establishment. And it went into the restroom and it was one of those where, and I counted it after the fact because I was so bothered by this. There was 15 urinals along the wall. I walked in, I was the only person in the restroom. So I walked up, picked my urinal, did my business, right? Halfway through, this dude comes walking in and he sidles up right next to me. We're the only two people in in the entire restroom. He's got his point. Thank you. He's got his choice on, on the other. I was kind of in the middle. I, I can't tell you exactly how many, but he had a handful on the right. He had a handful on the left. He could have picked anything, but he sidles right up next to me. So uncomfortable, so inappropriate. And I just, it bothered it. But two weeks later, it still bothers me. Ladies and gentlemen, bathroom etiquette 101. If there are more than three or four urinals, there is no way you should ever be cozied up next to another person Mm-mm. and their empty urinals all yep. along the wall. That Amen. is man French. law 101, bathroom etiquette, life etiquette. Do not be holding it down literally right next to another man. Yeah, there's a there's no. a uh, meme online that I've seen. So there's four urinals and the guy's on the one second from the left. And there's the question underneath says, how many urinals are available in this picture? And the answer is one. <laughs> the one all the way to the right. That's it. In, you don't go. You don't go next to that dude who's already there. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. The only yeah, that's, the that's, only saving grace is he didn't try to strike up a conversation with me while we were in there. But man, like it. it like I said, this was two <laughs> Saturdays ago. It still bothers me to this day. And the place was packed. The the place was it packed. Should. Outside where I was, but I went in and I was like, "Oh, pleasantly surprised." I had my choice, and man, I, I knew you guys would appreciate it. I just, like I said, I had to vent, um, you know. But the only place that's appropriate is, is at a crowded sports stadium when there's you know fifty thousand people. Fine, like you, you wait in line, you you grab the first open one, and then uh, in, in like you said, Bertrand, if there's more than two, like you got three, proper spacing, always, always. Always, brother. And, you know, when you start talking about the the sporting events, you you feel you, you read the room. You can tell that there is a need to be next to another person because that's yes. the, that's the vibe of, of the room. But when you are walking into a 
fairly empty bathroom, yeah, space is always appreciated. 100%, 100%. Well, I appreciate you fellas Let me get that off my chest. I'll be good till the next uh, the next foul hits me, wherever that happens to be. NBA playoffs, we're, uh, we're out of the first mm. round, we're out of the opening round. And uh, before we get to the local team here, uh, in the Eastern Conference, a little bit of a surprise, the Miami Heat, they eliminated the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks. They're now tied up 1-1 after tonight's game with the Knicks. Knicks win tonight in Madison Square Garden. Number eight-seeded uh, Heat, though, Bertrand, making some waves in the postseason. Mike, it's been a topsy-turvy type of playoff for basketball. You've seen uh, seven seeds advance. You've seen eight seeds advance, six seeds a lot of the top seeds are not making it through to the second round. And I think yeah. this speaks to a lot of parity in the NBA. It speaks to teams that are rising up. And it also speaks to injuries, Mike. Whenever you have a Giannis Antetokounmpo miss more than one game, that greatly affects the chemistry on that team. And even though he was able to come back later in the series, you still saw the damage of him going out in game one and, and Milwaukee never got up off the floor. When, John, when Giannis was on the floor, they collectively never got up. And I think for the Miami Heat, this is who they are. This is what they've been since Pat Riley's been there and been in charge, whether it's he at the head coaching him or, or uh, at the, as the president. And you see that with Eric Spolstra continuing. They're tough-minded. They're going to be a tough out. And if you find any kind of cracks in the other team's armor, they're going to exploit it, and they're going to find a way to get it done. Hundred percent, and and I'm glad you mentioned Eric Spolster because remember when uh, when when Pat Riley retired and, and Eric Spolster was kind of his I know lack of a better term handpicked successor, right? Um, yep. Worked his way know, up he, from the top too, or from the bottom. From the bottom, but look at how long he's been at the helm of this team. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and they're always competitive, and, and you, you see again this year, you know, a team that. You know, they dealt with some stuff, some injuries and the like through the regular season. But here's a guy that's been in charge, been the head coach since 2008, right? You know, he's won over 1,100 games. And the other thing is he doesn't look like he's aged a day since he's taken that job. But, you know, like I remember like, oh, he's just Pat Riley's handpicked successor or whatever. Like, and then he wins. Well, you got LeBron and D. Wade, you're going to win. No, I mean, this guy can coach. Can flat out coach Mike, and there's something to be said about consistency within the organization. You you know another organization in Texas, i.e. San Antonio, yep. where there's been a guy at the helm for quite some time, and you see the the management above him. They all seem to be consistent. They all seem to be on the same page, and and we know what the San Antonio Spurs have been over the span of 25 years. They've been a model of consistency and a team that you can always, up until the last couple of years, you could count on making the playoffs. They've, they've fallen on tough times the last couple of years, uh, Greg Profovich and company. But for the most part, that, that team has been a fixture in the playoffs in the NBA. And when you talk about being well run and, and teams looking the same, no matter who you plug in as far as personnel, they always fit the same type of mold. They always are tough-minded guys that are going to get after it and 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 really can take coaching, Mike. Meanwhile, down I-95 from New York City, the Sixers and the Celtics, actually wrong way. They went to, they started in Boston, my bad. But but nonetheless, the Sixers, the number three seeded team up 1-0 on the Celtics. 
in what the so-called experts said is a de facto Eastern Conference championship now that the Bucks are out. Joel Embiid's not able to go in game one. Sixers still win 119-115. And oh, by the way, James Harden can still score 45 points for the ASU graduate in that big win at Boston. Yeah, Mike, it was a, it was a turn back the clock moment for James Harden. And big props to Joel Embiid being named the 2023 NBA Most Valuable Player. I think that's a, a well-deserved award, one that he's worked towards for the last couple of years. I know Jokic had uh, taken it from him the last couple of years, but he was right there as, as a, a 1B, if you will, to, to Joker's 1A. And for him to finally achieve that accomplishment and, and get that award, I know it meant the world to him and, and – I think that's only going to motivate him going forward into the playoffs. Yep. And, and with James Harden and company holding it down for him, I think he's going to be motivated to come back and, and show why he was voted league MVP. And, and uh, with the Boston Celtics, Mike, there's something that seems to be missing from this team. They got all the talent in the world. They've got the six man of the year. They've got a, 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 a really good a bench. They've got a great starting five. They've got the, the you know, the, the two stars, but there just seems to be something missing. I don't know if it's the coach. I don't know if Missoula is a guy that is really the, the, the right fit. But somehow, some way, whenever it gets to crunch time, it seems as if Boston flounders a little bit in the last couple of years. And I don't know if that's to their stars or if that's to their coaching. But somehow, some way, they're going to have to figure that out. Yeah, and you're right. And, and maybe it's coaching. I don't know. Um, you know, you go back and – um, you know, one of the most, if not the most decorated franchises in NBA history, um, although the Lakers would probably take issue with that statement, but uh, one in 1A, you know, here's a franchise, no championship, even in the bubble, hello LA, since Doc Rivers got him one in 2008. So you look at, you know, they've had a lot of regular season success, uh, but, but it hasn't translated into the postseason in more than a decade. Well, and to be fair, they did play in last year's final, so they were one of two last teams standing. But fair. they just haven't been able to get over the hump and and finish the deal. And and if I recall, they were up two zero in the series last year, and 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 didn't have a chance, or or didn't take advantage of an opportunity to really close out a game. Golden State Warriors team, and uh, you know here they are answering the same questions that you could have posed a year or so ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would just, and I agree with everything you said, and playing for the championship is great. But when you're in Boston, the expectation is winning those championships when you're there. And those fans, like I said, since 2008, haven't gotten one. Speaking of the Golden State Warriors, raise your hand uh, if you had the number six Warriors and the number seven Lakers playing in the Western Conference semifinals. That series gets underway later on tonight after we're done with this podcast. Mike, there's something to be said about the phrase that Rudy Tomjanovich came up with back in 1995. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. And we saw that with the Golden State Warriors in their last series against the Sacramento Kings. It was a gutty performance. It went seven. They were the, the lower seed because of their road woes throughout the course of the season. And somehow, some way, getting Andrew Wiggins back and getting relatively healthy, getting Gary Payton the second back, they were able to find their stride and, and got two critical wins on the road, Mike, something that we hadn't really seen all year from the Golden State Warriors. And I think a team like this that has been there, has that championship medal, 
and that championship muscle memory, they're going to be a tough out. I know the Lakers are just as much of a surprise as you talked about, but man, you, you see this Golden State Warrior team. It seems by the dribble, they seem to be finding their way. And I think they're going to be a, an extremely tough out going forward. Before we get on to the Suns and the Nuggets, just got a quick comment. Even though they're not in the playoffs, Dylan Brooks still making news. LeBron James effectively ended Dylan Brooks's run with the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> Dylan Brooks ended his run with the Memphis Grizzlies by talking too much. Sometimes you just need to shut up and dribble. Yeah, shut up and dribble. Good point. All right, we put it off long enough, danced around the rest of the NBA. The Phoenix Suns find themselves in a 2-0 hole B train coming back from the Mile High City, a place that you and I both know very well. And look, it was going to be tough to win up there anyway. The Nuggets, what, they lost nine games in the regular season uh, at Ball Arena in Denver. This is a good team. This is a team that's finally healthy to go into the postseason where he, uh, Joker, you talked about the MVP a minute ago. He was winning individual awards, but he didn't have the complement of players around him uh, for the last couple seasons due to injuries. They pretty much played together as a unit all season long. And I'm going to say they didn't get a lot of respect as the regular season wound down. You know, uh, from a gambling standpoint, the experts, everybody was pointing at the Phoenix Suns. And I think that probably rubbed the Nuggets some kind of way as they got ready for this series. Um, and now they took advantage of business. They, they boat raced the, uh, the Suns Saturday evening up there in Denver, 20-some-odd point win. And then they came from behind for a 10-point win last night. Chris Paul goes down, and apparently he's going to be out for game three and four in Phoenix and likely game five when the series, or if, I should say, the series returns back to Denver next week. So a tough uh, road for the, the Phoenix Suns gets that much tougher without CP3. And I say that because whether you want to blame the bench or you want to blame the coaching for not knowing how to use the bench, the Suns aren't getting anything from anybody not in the starting lineup. Mike, stop me if you've heard this before. Chris Paul in the playoffs is injured. Yeah. So whenever you have a team that relies on his court leadership and his presence no matter how they try to save him during the regular season, Mike, there's something to be said about Chris Paul in the playoffs that is so unfortunate because he's such an incredible player. He's done so much in his career uh, in, in a positive way. It's mm -hmm. just unfortunate that every time you look up and it's May, it seems as if Chris Paul is out with some sort of injury. And, and Mike, this is the time that they can ill afford being the Suns to yeah. not have all hands on deck because the Denver – Nuggets, other than the Boston Celtics, are probably the deepest team in the NBA. And they can pull 10 deep, Mike, and all 10 can come in and contribute in their own special way. It was going to be a tough stretch anyway, and you can dismiss it by saying, hey, all they did was hold serve. They won both games at home. No big deal. But, Mike, watching the, the ebb and flow of both those games, it just didn't feel good. It didn't feel like yeah. – the Phoenix Suns were really, really competitive. Even though they had the lead, it still didn't feel like they were really in control of the game and either one, game one or game two. And I just wonder, what do the Phoenix Suns have if Chris Paul is not able to go, which you said he's going to miss games three, four, possibly five. Is there enough in the bench to, to withstand 
losing CP3, I know he's not the, the main focus as far as scoring the ball because that's Kevin Durant and that's Devin Booker. Mm. But, man, just that presence. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, where, where are you? There's an APB out for DeAndre oh. Ayton. Now, I told you, I, I told you earlier in the year, Mike, he doesn't deserve a nickname, and he's showing you why. It's on full display right now. There was a, a clip that they showed uh, from game one where – or game two, I believe, where it was just – Joker at the at the rim just playing volleyball with himself. He's just tipping the ball to himself, tipping the ball to himself. And you saw DeAndre Aiden in, on the in the out of bounds, not making a move to get back in the mix. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? This is the playoffs. Every possession matters, and he's showing up small. And Mike, I I, I think unfortunately they're getting exposed right now. I don't I don't think Monty is having much to work with. I mean, other than Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. I, where else are you supposed to get help on this on this roster? Because there's not a lot of scores other than CP3 and when he feels like it, DeAndre Ayton. So I, I don't see their problems being solved by yeah. going back to Phoenix for games three and four. No, I agree with you. And, and go back to Chris Paul's situation for a minute. I think you hit the nail on the head. Look, I think Suns fans were hopeful because if you go back to the end of the Clippers series, game five and game, uh, excuse me, game four and game five, uh, you saw flashes out of Chris Paul, right? You know, he was hitting some threes. Uh, you know, I think he scored 20 points one game, uh, 15 another game. Um, but the concern, to your point, is the minutes, where he was over 35 minutes in each of the games against the Clippers. And I was watching the other day before game two. So the Suns were down after they <laughs> lost on Saturday. But uh, ESPN, the, uh, the midday, the NBA show, I was watching it. And Tim Legler, uh, he actually said, look, you know, if I'm a Suns fan, the one thing I'm keeping an eye on are the, are the minutes that Chris Paul is playing because that will come back to haunt this team. And he said that before Monday's game in Denver. Um, and and he's, he came back to, to sound prophetic when it came to that. And going back to what you were saying about um, DeAndre Ayton, man, he's averaging 15 and 7 right now. Excuse me, 15 and 10 right now through seven games in the postseason. And it's the quietest 15 and seven you will ever find as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, you mentioned him standing like on the side watching Joker. Like, it's almost like he's standing there admiring him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, he's like, wow, look at this guy. He's, he's a, he's, he's an MVP. Uh, this is cool to watch it. Like, what, what are you doing, dude? Like, and, and now, you know, the question is with Chris Paul out and I know they don't even play close to the same position, but the issue is who's going to step up and where are they going to get the, um, you know, the, the production from, uh, you can't count on, on DeAndre Ayton for that. I mean, you, you just can't. I, I just, um, it's frustrating. And I know, like you said, we've talked about it for ever since we've been doing this podcast, right? You know, and I go back to it. We were talking about it someplace else, like in the postseason where basketball gets more physical as you go along, he is averaging less than three free throw attempts per game. That's for your starting five. That's for your center, whatever you want to call DeAndre Ayton in the position he plays, right? So the numbers, if you just look at the numbers in passing, like I said, double-digit scoring, double-digit rebound, okay, that's cool. But where it matters, where it's impactful, you ain't, you, you get nothing from DeAndre Ayton. And, Mike, that's so unfortunate with this team because with the salary that he's making and the size, the sheer size of DeAndre Ayton, he should be making more of an impact. Yeah. And I think – his lack of impact is going to really cost this team, unfortunately. And, Mike, I would love to say that there's hope, 
because they're coming back to Phoenix, but I can honestly see a gentleman sweep in this series. Ooh. I look at the Denver Nuggets and, and they are just a better team. And you can say what you want about uh, the Joker, but Jamal Murray is the heartbeat of that team. Like we know that, that the Joker is the one that he's the, he's the main cog. He's the one that makes everything go. But when you start looking at his presence and when he wasn't there the last couple of years due to injury and where he is now and how much of an impact he makes on the game, just by being out there and making timely shots, even though he struggled uh, yesterday in game two, he made the shots when he needs to. And he and and the Joker have so much chemistry on the court, Mike. It's 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 really it's admirable to watch. And, and although mm-hmm. we're both cheering for the Suns and rightfully so, you still have to appreciate good basketball and 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 good chemistry. And I think for those two to finally be able to do this when it matters most. I, I it's going to be hard to to see any team other than maybe the Boston Celtics if they get their act together really slowing yeah. down the Denver Nuggets because that mile high is such an advantage up there Mike playing in that 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 altitude and then with the efficiency that they play with and the the sheer numbers that they throw at you this is this is going to be one of those where it's pretty much theirs to gag away. No, I, I agree with you. I wish I wish I could see a clearer path, but uh, you can't. And the other thing, you talk about how difficult it is to uh, to play there. Now, obviously, you got a really good basketball team, and and you know this, having played you know the in the NFL uh, there, it, it takes it out of the other team. Part of it is mental. Part of it when you go up there, because look, if you play in the NFL like you did, you play in the NBA like the guys we're talking about. These are. I hate to steal a line from our good friend, Ron Wolfley. These are the best our species has to offer, right? Like these are highly trained, you know, in great shape athletes. But part of that is mental, right? Like, you know, when, when they right on the free throw lines at the arena in Denver, where they, they put 5280 right on the line. So mm-hmm. people remember what the elevation is. I remember when I used to work Western athletic conference football games and the air force Academy on the wall coming out of the visitor's locker room, they painted on there, because it's like 7,000 feet or something like that at the academy. They put on there, um, 7,000 feet, please be cautious because of the high altitude or something like that. So when the visiting teams come out, they look at that. Like, you know, so playing the mental aspect, um, it's a tough place to go. And now by losing both mm-hmm. those games, you've painted yourself into a corner. You've got to win a game in Denver in order to win this series. And um, it was going to be tough anyways. I think it becomes nearly, I hate to say impossible, but definitely much more difficult uh, without Chris Paul. Um, you know, how much of this, uh, and, and, and I, know, I know your relationship, and I want to be careful here, but I think it needs, to be, it needs to be at least explored a little bit. You know, Monty Williams and, you know, the, the bench play, the, the rotations, um, you know, he's getting questioned again this year like he did last year. Uh, you think about the end of that series against the Pelicans where Willie Green, a lot of people suggested Willie Green outcoached Monty Williams. Willie Green definitely took advantage of his knowledge of Chris Paul in that series. Um, how much pressure on on uh, on C- Coach Monty Williams right now? I think there's going to be immense pressure because of the fact that he came out of the gates with so much success, Mike. You're talking about a coach that gets to the finals. You're talking about a, co- yeah. a coach that gets to the second round the very next year with the best record in the regular season. There's been a lot of success associated with Monty Williams, and yet there hasn't been the title to go with it. And so 
to be in a situation where they're down 0-2 to a Denver team that, in my opinion, is a better team, even with a Kevin Durant and a Devin Booker on your team, there's going to be times where that bench gets exposed. And, and Mike, I don't know what he could do because the, you could you could roll the guys out there, but they've got to go out there and they've got to perform. At some point, yeah. they've got to make Monty Williams look good by going out and performing and being ready when their name is called. And I think for Monty, if you don't go out and show what you can do, why would I continue to put you out there? And yep. yes, it would be great to have seven, eight player, nine player rotation where you could give some of your, your stars a little bit of a breather. But Mike, they haven't shown that they're worth it. They haven't shown worthy an opportunity to, to get, you know, 20, 25 minutes out there on the court because when they get out there, they're 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 being outclassed by the Denver's bench and 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 the players that that are uh, being thrown at them. So, w- what are you to do? At, at some point, those those men that are getting paid, paid very well have to dig deep and look at themselves and be like, "How can I help our coach out? Our coach has yep. put it on the line for us. How can we go out there and make him look good for once?" And to be very fair here, uh, we're talking about a guy who's won 39 postseason games as the head coach of the Phoenix Suns coming off the absolutely brutal playoff drought Oof. that this team went through for more than a decade. So, look, you know, all, all, all things in context when we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, Coach Williams and the job he's done at the helm of the Phoenix Suns. All right, look. I mean, as I said, we're, we're between games two and game three. They get a couple days off up here, you know, to rest, regroup, whatever you want to call it. Uh, cynical people would say to allow the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors to catch up uh, from, a, from a series standpoint. But either way, the Suns have a couple days off. Hopefully they can figure out uh, a way to kind of right the ship and uh, maybe win some games and, and uh, get back up there. And like we said, they got to steal a game one way or another in Denver if they're going to advance out of this uh, out of this series all right b train we'll step aside here for a quick minute and take care of some business on the other side uh, you always say it like the nfl like they they never give up the spotlight and aside from the regular season the super bowl the nfl draft is uh, is quite the event that occurred last week and we'll pa- talk about it next on training gross train and gross Welcome back in, Trade and Gross. Rolling along here on uh, May the 2nd, a couple days removed from the 2023 NFL Draft. And uh, B-Train, how much time did you spend in front of the TV watching the uh, the draft festivities? I spent a grand total of zero minutes, Mike, in front of the TV. I was actually training my young guys, getting them ready for college, and hopefully one day having an opportunity to participate in the draft and having their name called for the world to hear. But uh, that doesn't mean that I wasn't uh, attuned to what was going on and and hearing some of the picks and, and obviously having a vested interest in, in the local team and what they did. Uh, very confusing, Mike. Uh, it was a uh, it was a draft that was pretty predictable. I think the one thing that it really lacked it, it lacked that that surefire can't miss star power. There were lots of good players, and I think for some of the teams in the top five, 
top 10. They did well in, in adding to their roster, but can we just take a moment and, and really give a uh, congratulatory golf cheer for the Philadelphia Eagles? My gosh. My goodness. They, they have figured this thing out like nobody's business. What they were able to do in the draft to go out and get more Georgia players who had arguably the best defense in all of college and add to what was already a dominant defense in the NFL. Mike, there's no there's no holes. There's no weakness in this organization. And not to mention they already they just took care of Jalen Hurts with the second highest contract in yeah. NFL history, which was surpassed by another young quarterback. Uh, right up the road yeah. in Baltimore, but they just seem to have it figured out. They know how to work a draft like nobody's business. And the fact that they were able to get Swift from the Detroit Lions, your Detroit Lions, and add another Georgia player to the roster, it, it, they just seem to understand how to go about 100%. picking players that, that fit their scheme and what they're trying to get done. I, I mean – I think the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles show you what it's like to be able to draft from a position of strength. You hear the term position of strength or you hear for the position where you have needs. And I think it's perfect. We sit here in Arizona where they, by all accounts, had a decent draft, but they're still going to be a bad football team next year. When you look at what the mm -hmm. Eagles did, they were able to draft from a position of strength and they were able mm. to make a very strong unit, their defensive unit, that much stronger with what they did. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I think they did exceptionally well. And you look at the pick of Jalen Carter at number 10. You go back to the end of the college football season, the bowl season, Jalen Carter was right there in the same breath with Will Anderson Jr. Back and forth about, well, geez, you're going to take Jalen Carter, you're going to take Will Anderson. You're going to take uh, Will Anderson, you're going to take Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter got himself into a little bit of situation, uh, you know, off the field stuff. I don't want to dive into all that, but a couple, three different situations. Some of it was of his own making. Some of it, maybe it was trumped up, whatever. But when you're able to get a guy as talented as Jalen Carter is, but then bring in some of his former college teammates so he's got a support structure in there, I love this pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. This pick wouldn't work for the Arizona Cardinals. This pick wouldn't work for the Chicago Bears. This pick might not work for a lot of the teams at the top of the draft. This is a genuinely great pick for the Philadelphia Eagles because of where this team is at and what they did to support this guy. You bring in Nolan Smith and you bring in Keely Ringo, guys that he knows, guys that he's got history with, guys that will support one another when they come up. They won't have to learn it on their own. They've got each other. I think it's a genius pick on the part of the Eagles uh, for, for that, you know, and they found themselves in the top 10 because they traded, uh, you know, through and, and landed with the bears pick. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. and then with their own pick, that's where they got Nolan Smith. Um, so I love that pick. Why Keely Ringo fell as far as he did. I have no idea because we were talking about Keely Ringo possibly at the end of the first round at the start of the season. And I heard things like, well, his technique isn't great or he got exposed a little bit. That may be true, but when you play at the level that the Georgia defense played and you produce the way Keely Ringo did on that said defense, a genius pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. In the fourth round, you get a kid this talented. Um, so I think that I think the Eagles, you take a team that, you know, was that close a year ago, man, and, and you already talked about, and we'll get into quarterback talk here in a little bit, 
but what they did, I think, is is absolutely remarkable. And coming back to the home team here, the Arizona Cardinals, the team you obviously closed out your your career with. Look, you know, on paper, you like the individual players they got. I don't understand the quarterback pick, but that's just me in the fifth round. But other than that, you like the picks that they made. You know, you you heard Paris Johnson's name with the Cardinals a lot leading up to the draft, and you're like, yeah, I like the pick of Paris Johnson. He's clearly the best offensive lineman in this draft. I don't like it at number three. And it's almost like, yeah, we agree with you. We don't like it at three either. So we're going to trade and then trade back up to get them and keep the Texans number one pick a year from now while we do it. So you like the way they went about their business. But again, here's a team that, that you know, you take the best offensive lineman in the draft. You got some nice impact potential players on the defensive side. You filled some holes on the offensive side. You're still a below average football team a year ago. So I think that's the difference between drafting for the Philadelphia Eagles and drafting for the Cardinals or drafting for the Bears or some of these other teams that haven't been able to figure it out recently. Mike, I was impressed with the Houston Texans and what they were able to do and the fact that the Cardinals were a willing participant to allow them to basically get arguably the best or one of the better quarterbacks as well as one of the better defensive rush edgers or edge rushers, I should say, uh, in the entire draft. And to to get both of those players, to get C.J. Stroud and to get Will Anderson Jr., I love Will Anderson Jr. And I thought the Cardinals were going to stand pack and pick him because without having a J.J. Watt, without having a Chandler Jones, you need somebody that's going to be able to be that outside presence and really be consistent with that pressure on the quarterback. And so uh, I ultimately I'm, I'm – I'll wait, I'll hold judgment to see how Paris Johnson pans out and, and them trading down and getting the pick and all that makes sense, but you still have to go out and make the, the picks. And I think for the Cardinals, the one thing that kind of loomed over the whole thing and, and, and was kind of a dark cloud before the draft was a tampering, you know, to bring in the coach and, and with the Philadelphia Eagles and, and, Look, we know that when you are successful, they're going to they're going to pluck at your coaching staff. And we saw the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles both get head coaching jobs, and rightfully so. And we were able to to get defensive coordinator here, and 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 I think he's going to do a a, a fine job. You just don't like how he comes in. It it the, the presentation if you will, is not the greatest. The fact that you're already getting docked because of some sort of uh, illegal contact and, and, and doing things outside of the rules, that it just it's not the best way to get off to a, a, a good start here with the Arizona Cardinals. And, and they've got work to do, Mike. But ultimately, like you said, I think the draft was solid. I would give it you know, a B. I'd give it a solid B for what they were able to get as far as talent and, and, and the different players. But Mike, there, there were no, there were no sexy names, Mike. There were no yeah. players that you, you saw so much hype about them going in. Of course, they're going to generate the hype around the quarterbacks because that's the most important position, so to speak in the NFL. But there were no names that just jumped off your screen that you couldn't wait to see where they went. And look, I, I love, the, the quarterbacks. I, I, I love what Bryce Young brought to the table. I love what C.J. Stroud brought to the table. And, you know, even Will Levis and, and you know, there were so many different guys that had opportunities to 
make an impact, but they just didn't look like franchise changing quarterbacks and right. guys that were going to change your life as soon as they step on the field for your organization. So it seemed like a little bit of a down year for the draft, but I, I thought most teams did what they needed to do. There were a few head scratchers. Uh, your Detroit Lions, I'm not sure what they were doing, but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I thought the teams did what they needed to do in order to improve their rosters. Oh, man, 100% with the Detroit Lions. Like, you know, on paper, you like the players that they drafted, but then you see where they drafted them, and it's almost like the Lions were getting too full of themselves in terms of the, you know, all the great things that everybody's been saying about the, here's the team to beat in the NFC North. It's like, yeah, we're the Detroit Lions. Let me show you why you you don't want to forget that. Um, yeah. uh, our friend, you know, back when you and I had a radio show together, we used to have a, a guy by the name of Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports mm -hmm. on our show from time to time talking about usually about the Steelers, mm -hmm. but all things NFL. And uh, he already went out with his way too early 2024 mock draft. And I only bring this up to go back to, if you're a Cardinals fan, why you have to take this 2023 draft and link it up with next year's draft. Uh, he has the Cardinals picking number one with the Texans pick and number two with their own pick a year from now. So in terms of what the expectations are relative to the draft picks that they just had, you know, the Texans are right there in that conversation. I think I mentioned the Bears when I talked about teams that didn't have the luxury to go out and draft the way the Eagles did. The Texans with two really good picks this year still are going to be a team with a lot of work to do a year from now. And the Cardinals own the, – the, the Texans have two picks in the first round next year. The Cardinals get their pick, the Texans pick, which mm -hmm. will probably be a pretty high pick. And just for the record, in his way too early draft, he has the Cardinals drafting Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison uh, in next year's uh, draft. Uh, you know, we'll write that down and we'll revisit it at the end of next season uh, from our friend Ryan Wilson. But – Look, you know, you know this. You played uh, played in the league for a few years. You know, you, you draft drafting is similar, not exactly the same, but similar to signing day in college football. Like you got the names, you got the guys. Now you got to wait and see how they fit in. How do they how do they turn into um, you know productive members of a team? How do they fit into a system? You know, is it a mm -hmm. is it a, a great pick or is it a Robert Kimdichi? Like you just have to wait and see mm -hmm. what you got from these guys. Mike, it isn't an exact science, and you don't have to look any further than last year's draft where you had a Brock Purdy as Mr. Irrelevant. I think yeah. a lot of teams, if they had a chance to go back and do that over again, I think Brock Purdy would have gone a lot sooner than what he did, uh, being that he was one of the quarterbacks that was playing uh, in the last or second-to-last game of the year for his respective team. So you, there's going to be misses. There's going to be guys that fall through the cracks, Mike, as far as what did they do on the field as opposed to how did they measure out at the combine and all this other nonsense. There's always going to be guys that are overvalued because of what they did at the combine and they wow you with these physical attributes and, and yet you, you don't pay attention to the film and, and what they did when the, the lights were brightest. And unfortunately, there's going to be a GM or a – uh, director of player personnel that's going to lose their job because they didn't do the due diligence that they were supposed to. And, and you always see it play out uh, very early uh, who are going to be the, the, the major players as far as rookies and who are going to be the guys that are almost red shirted. 
in their first season. And you just have to wonder, how did you not see this coming? With all the resources that the NFL has and, and the respective teams have to go out and, and evaluate the, the players, how do you miss on certain guys? And, and how do you um, over over overvalue certain players? It, it just it seems mind boggling to me. Uh, 2023 NFL draft picks by school. Stop me if you see a trend here. Alabama and Georgia with nine each. Michigan and TCU with seven each. And then right next in the next level down, the Ohio State Buckeyes with six. So it's what we've been saying for a while here. I know you've been saying it, B-Train. You know, you look at the rich getting richer. And if you're out there recruiting for Alabama or Georgia or Michigan or TCU, what are you telling kids right now? What are you telling them? You want to play in the NFL? You better come to come TCU. Here. You better come to Georgia. You better come to Alabama. Ohio State. Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh has put Michigan. 55 players into the NFL since he's come back to Michigan. Right? I mean, and, and it's just what you said. The rich get richer. Mike, it, it really is one of those where until you have that, that, that player like a Travis Hunter who goes against the grain – and teams up with a Deion Sanders, who be on the lookout for Colorado in the next couple of years. Just just throw that out there as a caveat. There, there's going to be those same teams that you see consistently in the playoffs every single year because they've got all the best players. Because as you said, Mike, all they got to do is is roll out the draft. And these players with their parents, they want that moment where they can hug their son and the son can go up there and put that hat on and, and hug the commissioner and, and mm-hmm. hold that jersey up and, and, and feel good about themselves. And nobody has done it better than Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, TCU now, and, and uh, the Texases, if you will, the, the major program. So th- there's a lot. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And I, I think it's going to take a few brave souls, if you will, of, of players that are in high school now to, to think outside the box and not fall into that same old rut where, where you just, you know, you just jump into the factory line and be the next great at said school and, and be one of many where you can just go out and, and make a name for yourself at a school that hasn't had a lot of success and, and maybe generate that success. But, um, it's hard to yeah. tell a kid not to do that because of the success that we've seen in recent drafts. And just to put a, a bow on this conversation, uh, draft picks by conference, the SEC 62, the Big 10 55, the ACC 32, the Big 12 30, and the Pac-12 at 27. The good news with the Pac-12 is neither USC nor UCLA were the top teams in terms of uh, coming out of the Pac-12 sending dudes to the NFL. That was Oregon and Stanford, respectfully, respectful, mm. respectively, geez. Mm. Uh, so, you know, go on and take yourself to the Big Ten, UC, USC and UCLA. We don't care. Um, <laughs> B-Train, uh, switching gears but staying with the NFL, quarterback news, contracts. Uh, we got to start, uh, even though it's kind of in reverse order in terms of, you know, how we've been following this story because this one went on for a long long time and I'm, I'm really curious and you and I really haven't talked about this uh, but really you know interested to see you know your thoughts uh, Lamar Jackson finally gets the deal done however if there is a however for that big of a contract 
you know, he did not get the 100% guaranteed that we talked about uh, that the uh, that the Browns handed out. Um, was it still a win for Lamar? I mean, look, it's a lot of money regardless. But, you know, we were talking about there's the money, but there's also the message and the prestige that goes with it. Mike, I think there were messages all the way around. I think it was a win for both Baltimore and for Lamar Jackson. For Lamar Jackson, it's a win because you did it unconventionally. You did it your way. You did it without an agent. You did it by standing on your principles. You didn't get the money that you thought you deserved. And everybody's chasing Deshaun Watson's contract, and they'll be forever chasing it. Stay tuned for uh, a Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow out in Cincinnati. They may be the next two that could challenge for a Deshaun Watson type of deal. But if you're Lamar Jackson, you did it without an agent. That's the first big key, Mike. We hadn't yep. seen a high-profile individual go in and demand the most money in NFL history without a guy or a lady that had prior knowledge as and prior relationships with these front office executives and owners that knew how to talk to talk and knew how to uh, play the game, if you will, for him to bet on himself and to go out and get the richest deal. Now, granted, he got less guaranteed money than Kyler Murray did, you know, 185 million as opposed to 189 for Kyler Murray. Some people will look at that as a disappointment, but I'm like, it's 185 freaking million dollars. Yeah, it is. That's a lot of money. And yeah. the fact that he can potentially earn $255 million, I mean, or $260 million, that, that, that is incredible. That's insane. And I think for him, the fact that the Baltimore Ravens did it the way that they did it, you thought that this was going to kind of get ugly, Mike. But yep. I think they did it in a way to show Lamar that, hey, we want you, but nobody is willing to give you Deshaun Watson's contract. That's an outlier. It's an absolute outlier as far as contracts go, even for high-profile quarterbacks. Nobody's going to give you that. And, and the fact that they gave him the, the non-exclusive tender, yeah. it, it, it allowed him to go out and see. And he saw, unfortunately, that nobody else was willing to play ball with him. And to accept this type of consolation prize, Mike, I think anybody would accept that to still be and still have the richest contract in NFL history, $260 million with 185 guaranteed. I don't think anybody's going to say uh, shed a tear for Lamar Jackson. And, and B-Train, one of the things that I've learned to appreciate uh, in our conversations over the years with you is uh, kind of helping us understand the business side of sports, right? You know, and refresh our memory. When you as a player hire an agent, approximately what percentage of your contract do they take as part of their fee? Anywhere from two to 10%. So you split the difference on that uh, or cut it in half almost. If you look at a 260 million, <laughs> I like the way you said it, uh, contra dollar contract, um, and then you you let your agent have five percent of that that's 13 million dollars yes so by doing yes. it himself doing it himself he saved 13 million dollars that's 13 million dollars in his pocket that somebody else is not going to get he may have had an attorney check to make sure the i's were dotted and the t's were crossed 
but he negotiated. They weren't the getting deal. $13 million. No, no. no they, he's, he's done the online, uh, what's it called? Legal, legal, whatever, playing Legal online.com. <laughs> LegalZoom.com. Check this out for me real quick. Um, so, yeah. you know, $13 million in his pocket by not doing that. And, and you talk about being a trend center. If I'm if I'm a player coming up or, or maybe not coming up the first time, but I'm thinking about getting that next big contract, like that's real money. Like thirteen million dollars is real money, and some some somebody's not getting it uh, to do that work on his behalf. Um, so I, I believe you're right. The other side of it is with this guaranteed money. Look, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when Robert Ursay came out and said, you know what, what what's the saying? He said the quiet part out loud. We ain't we ain't doing that. Like as owners, mm-hmm. we're we're not doing that. And he's like, "What? Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to say that. Let's move on." But he said he said the quiet part out loud. Collusion. Yeah. Like they made Collusion. a decision. They made a decision that, that collectively, that, collectively, that the Deshaun Watson contract was a one-time deal, and that was it. And and I guarantee you that the Cleveland ownership got roasted behind the scenes by their ownership brethren uh, <laughs> as part of that. Um, Real quickly, before we wrap this up, um, I don't know what everybody was all up in arms about, man. DeAndre Hopkins never asked to be traded. I saw it on TikTok. <laughs> I saw it on TikTok. He goes, did I ever say I wanted to be traded? I never wanted to be traded. <laughs> Here, here's the reality of it. DeAndre Hopkins, they gave him permission to seek a trade. DeAndre yeah. Hopkins and his people went out and sought a trade, and they're like, yeah, we'll trade for you mid-round draft pick and you're going to take a huge pay cut to come play for fill in the blank kansas city buffalo wherever wherever he was rumored to be headed and so now all of a sudden with the contract he has in hand deandre hopkins apparently at least according to what i saw on TikTok, is very happy to be wearing the cardinals uniform next year yeah mike when you start talking about taking less money you, you start liking your situation a whole lot more and uh anytime people start talking restructuring which means pay cut we've talked about that there is no way that he was going to be happy going elsewhere on a reduced salary and it shows you mike what really is most important when you start talking about fits and playing with certain individuals Mm -hmm. all those things are fine and good until you start talking about making less money in order to play with said people nobody wants to play for less money than what they've already agreed to because most people feel like the one that they've agreed to they've already outplayed so they're not going to change locations and not have a a a greater chance to win a super bowl even even a place where you could win a super bowl you're not going to do it for less money it just shows money is still king in the nfl deandre hopkins scheduled to make 19 and a half million dollars with the arizona cardinals next year and then the following year uh, nearly $15 million. So that was a too big of a pill for some teams to swallow. Uh, and DeAndre Hopkins remains in Arizona Cardinal. Real quickly, I said that was the last one. Sean's going to get mad at me for this because he's a huge Mike Florio fan. And I, I, whenever I bash Mike Florio, he gets mad at me. But Mike Florio made tried to make a story this week, or last week, I guess it was, out of the fact that the Cardinals, the, the new front office, the general manager, the coaches, all of them traveled to Norman, Oklahoma, to be at the spring game for the Oklahoma Sooners where they unveiled the Kyler Murray uh, statue in the uh, ring of statues that they have there for all the Heisman Trophy winners uh, throughout the years for the the Oklahoma Sooners. If there was ever a bigger non-story than that, 
I want to know what it is. Are you serious? Like, look, the owner has a private plane. They put dudes on the plane. They flew from Phoenix to Norman, Oklahoma in the morning. They were probably looking at draft and film and, and whatever on the way there. They put on their nice suits and got off the plane, went over to the stadium, you know, smiled, took some pictures, happy for their guy. And then they got on a plane and went home. Like, what? What's? why is that even a story about, you know, look, there's enough stuff to be pissed at the Cardinals about if you're a hardcore Cardinals fan lately. You know, that that mm-hmm. to me is nowhere on the on the list of things to be worried about. In fact, I think it's actually, you know, as you try to figure this the relationship out with your quarterback, the bigger story in my mind would have been, why didn't you go if you had the opportunity? Absolutely, Mike. And let's let's just get this out the way. They've been working on the draft for the last four and a half right. months taking a flight in the middle of the day, a private flight and flying back and missing a half day, isn't going to put them behind the other teams as far as getting ready for the NFL draft. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's nonsense. And for him to try to, to, to continue to browbeat the Arizona Cardinals for whatever reason, you can have other reasons to jump on this team and, and be critical but that's not yeah. one of the situations. To your point, Mike, you are 100% on the money. Uh, that is such a non-story. They are supposed to go out there and support their quarterback, who, oh, by the way, got $189 million guaranteed last year. So if you are already alienating the guy that you gave that kind of guaranteed money to, that's a bigger story than you actually showing up. So there's no way that they were not going to be there. And you should be there because – he is your franchise quarterback. Though he's hurt and though he can be a pain in the ass sometimes, yeah, he is still your guy. He's he's your pain in the ass. So you got to go support him and you've got to go make sure that he knows that he's supported by the people that he's currently employed by. And anything less absolutely would have been uncivilized. And, and oh, by the way, I'm not a uh, Oklahoma football fan by any stretch of the imagination. But once I heard about this guy, I didn't know about it until they started talking about it. Um, that's pretty damn cool when you go and look online uh, where they got it's, – it's called Heisman Park. And they've got all these different, um, all these different statues lined up. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. And as a Lions fan, <laughs> it kind of makes you want to cry sometimes to see that you have two <laughs> – you drafted two – of those Heisman Trophy winners from Oklahoma because you're always drafting at the top mm. of the NFL draft. Mm. Steve Owens back in the 70s and at the end of the 70s, Billy Sims. Uh, how cool mm. is that, though? To, to You know, you talk about the tradition and what college football means to these universities and, and these communities. Heis, you know, I, I'll put this on my list. Next time I roll through Oklahoma, if I have a minute, I'm going to stop at Heisman Park to check that out because it looks really cool. Absolutely, Mike. And I think for those those men, it's it's something that can be immortalized. They can look back and they can bring their families to yeah. years from now and, and look back on it with pride. Mike, real quick before we get out of here, too. Uh, Aaron Rodgers finally ah. is a New York Jet. And with all of the drama and the back and forth, he has become Brett Favre part two. Yeah. He really has. And for him to have all of that attention by being the back-to-back MVP of the league and am I leaving, am I staying, 
all of the the things that he was doing in the offseason, not being with his teammates during the OTAs and all that kind of stuff, and and to finally get that deal done, Mike, I I don't know if it's too little, too late, but I think about that AFC East, Mike, and it's a pretty stacked division. I know we talk yeah. about this. And it sounds sexy every pre, you know, before the season. Uh, what division is going to be the most difficult? And, and of course, uh, we talked about the AFC West last year. That turned out to be a clunker. But I really look at this AFC East, and there are three legit teams that can actually go do some things in the NFL playoffs. And think about this, Mike. With the AFC, there's eight. Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks in the conference. One of those guys is not going to even make the playoffs. Yeah. Just think about 100%. that for a second. No, 100%. I Look, I mean, just because of who he is and, and what he has left in the tank, Aaron Rodgers elevates the situation in New York. But to your point, when you rank order him and the Jets with all those other teams you just mentioned – you know, they're not Buffalo, even the best Miami. Team. Yeah, they, they're arguably, mm. you know, potentially right there with Miami. They're nowhere close to Buffalo. Um, you know, I need to see what he's got left. I want to see if the actions back the talk that we've heard since he got there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my thing with him is here's a guy that over the years, like he's become increasingly, you know, full of himself. Right. You know, and, um, you know, just some of the off season stuff here lately is just, you know, going out in the desert and, you know, the peyote or whatever it was, you know, getting in touch with his inner feelings. And, you know, part of it is like, are you that weird? Or part of it is, are you doing that for effect? Are you doing that just to see what the reaction is, right? Um, and, you know, the way he, and I get it, like it gets personal, but the, 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 the divorce with the Packers, man, like it's, I don't know. I, I, I hope for the Jets' sake that it, it, it gives them a little bit of hope. But I, for as far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned, personally, I could care less right now. Like, um, whatever happens, happens. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just – good riddance. Yeah. You know, and the funny thing, Mike, I was, I was racking my brain. It's like, what other athlete can I think of in recent history that you are – so tired of hearing about and so tired of talking about that you almost kind of hope they go away. Oh, it would be one Brett Favre, the guy who preceded him. So there seems to be that, that, that narrative about Green yeah. Bay Packer, great quarterbacks. It doesn't 100%. end well. And, and they, they, they leave with a lot of uh, bloviating about themselves. Yeah. And in case you thought Brett Favre was a dumbass when he was playing, you know, he, he went out oh. and proved it to you after the fact uh, with some of the mm. stuff he's been into since he retired. All right, we're going to put a mm. bow on that uh, and step aside here. Don't forget, give us a follow on Twitter at Train and Gross, and we'll be right back. Welcome back in Train and Gross, regular listeners to the podcast. There's been 102 of them. Where are you at? They know what this music means. It's time for Pump the Brakes. And that's where I turn things over to Sean Crespin. 
That's right. I'm going to give you guys some topics, uh, really some statements from the world of sports. You tell me if you're pumping the brakes on them or if you're going to roll with that statement. Um, so this is, you touched on it for just a brief bit when you're talking the NBA earlier, but when you look at the NBA playoff seedings right now, it's the first time ever that you've had one through eight alive in the second round, right? You have a one, a two, a three, a four, all the way down through eight. So pump the brakes or not. The NBA needs to start reseeding like the NFL does. And let me explain myself why I say that. You look at the East, you got the number five Knicks getting to play the number eight Heat. Meanwhile, the number two Boston Celtics are playing the three seed. In the West, you've got the six playing the seven and the Warriors and the Lakers. Meanwhile, you've got the number one Nuggets having to face the number four Suns. What exactly are we playing for in an 82 game regular season? If, you know, in today's day and age in the NBA, that basically a three-point shootout, you're going to get a lot of craziness in the postseason. You need to reseed this and give that first overall seed some type of a, I don't want to call it an advantage, but a reward for finishing first over an 82-game season, no? Pump the brakes. The reason you don't switch it up is because the one seed had a chance to get rid of the A seed, but due to injury, they couldn't get it done. And when you look at how the playoffs have fared thus far, I've loved the upsets. Golden State was an upset of Sacramento. I look at the, the Miami Heat, that was an upset. And so, hey, you play the teams that are in front of you, you've gotta be able to have a little luck along the way in order to make a championship run. Unfortunately for the Milwaukee Bucks, they got a little bit unlucky. And you look at the Sacramento Kings, they weren't quite ready. And the Warriors got a little bit of luck getting Andrew Wiggins, getting Gary Payton the second back. That's the way the ball bounces. But the luck, they're getting lucky on the second round based off of the work somebody else did is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? So they got by, they they up, they pulled the upset, and I agree with you, the upsets make this thing a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. But they pulled the upset in round one, and now they're getting the better matchup against the Lakers than what the number one seed Nuggets are getting playing the Suns based off something that had nothing to do with them in the first round. But hey, but that's the way that it goes. You got to play the teams that are in front of you. This has been the format for years. Nobody's complained about it. And look, had the Milwaukee Bucks won, you would have thought a lot differently of that series, them against the New York Knicks. So that's just the way that it goes. If you don't handle your business when you've got home court advantage, this is what you get. Gross. Reseeding or not? I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you, Sean. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I can't remember if I'm pumping the brakes. You're not pumping the brakes. Yeah. I like the ideas of reseeding. Um, and, and you and I were talking before we started recording. What what purpose then does the regular season serve? Right. You know, you're sitting there, you know, on the, in the in the uh, Eastern Conference, and all of a sudden you've got this matchup between the the Sixers and the Celtics. And I mentioned it when we were talking about. It. A lot of people are calling that the de facto Eastern Conference championship. You know, where you've got the best remaining team. Uh, kind of discounting what the Knicks and the uh, Heat did during the regular season. But you look at the standings, you look at what they did during the regular season, it's pretty accurate. You know, you've got the, you know, 57, 54 wins by those two teams at the top. Meanwhile, the Knicks and the Heat are in the 40s in terms of wins. So 
yeah, reseed. Let the Heat play the Celtics and let the Sixers play the Knicks and uh, see what happens. And if you've got to get the Celtics and the and the Sixers as your matchup, you get in the next round. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think they, I think it should be considered. Uh, bring it local here. You touched on Chris Paul missing games three, four, and five. You 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 talked you talked about the uphill battle the Suns have considering they're at best seven deep in that roster right now at best. Uh, Chris Paul being out, zero chance the Suns have of coming back down 0-2 against the Nuggets. Pump the brakes or not? I'm not pumping the brakes. I think it's it's a tall task. If you don't have Chris Paul, you're already out man with Chris Paul. But now you don't have that calming presence on the court to settle everything down when things get a little crazy. I, I just think the, the Denver Nuggets have too much as far as depth and want to. They feel disrespected, and I think they're on a mission this year, and I don't see the Suns having enough to stand in their way. Gross? Uh, I'm right there. Um, you know, you look at this game three, um, excuse me, game two in Denver. The Suns were leaving the game when Chris Paul went out with an injury. That was with about four or five minutes to go in the third quarter. Fast forward, they end up losing that game, game by 10. You know, I, I think as B-Train said, you know, it's a calming presence, it's the leadership. It's not the points anymore, it's not even the assists, it's the presence on the court that they're gonna miss. And you look when they close out that Clipper series, the last two games of that series, not, I don't think by mistake, were the best two games of, that Chris Paul played in that series. And I think, you know, you, you had to be hopeful going forward. But the flip side of the coin, realistic. This was a, <laughs> this has been the issue with Chris Paul. The questions are there. So, um, I mean, we're here in Phoenix. You'd like to think otherwise, but man, 0-2 hole. I don't see it. I don't see a. I don't see it happen. I mean, mathematically, yeah. I mean, but no, I don't think it happens. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. When you touched on the NFL draft, the Arizona Cardinals. And I always crack up at draft grades, right? People, the immediate draft grades that are given uh, when these guys haven't taken a snap yet. You have no idea what they're going to be until minimum of Thanksgiving this year, in my opinion. But forget about the draft grades. Pump the grades. Pump the brakes or not. This at least felt like the most competent Cardinals draft in quite some time. You get the offensive lineman you wanted and you pick up a potentially high first round pick the following year. This felt like there was a goal. This felt like it was competent. Pump the brakes or not. Go ahead, Mike. It was, it, uh, I, I always can't pay attention. I don't know if I'm pumping the brakes or not, but I agree with you. So whatever that is, pump them or not. No, uh, no it, pump the brakes if you agree. No pump in the brakes. It had a completely different feel from a Steve time drive. Um, Look, and, and we know Steve Kime had, you know, he, he had his hits, you know, and, got, you know, got some small, cool guys or whatever. But you go back and look at where NFL teams need to be successful at the high end, those top picks, more hits or more misses than hits. Um, and you look at what this team did for the future, because even the most ardent, hardcore Arizona Cardinal fan has to understand that this is a four, five, six win team at the very best next year more likely on the lower end of that. So on on the other side, you look at it for the 24 draft. One, two, three, four. They got like eight, nine picks already for the 2024 draft. Uh, one of those being the Houston Texans, a team that will be right there with the Cardinals in single digit wins a year from now. 
it was businesslike. It was competent. They drafted players that you can understand where they fit. I didn't see them drafting a tight end in the second round. I didn't see them trading a first-round pick for the quarterback's former teammate at Oklahoma. Like, I'm okay supporting them on an airplane going to Norman, Oklahoma. Not so much when you waste a draft pick on a wide receiver that, that isn't worth a first-round draft pick. I liked it. I like what they did. Um, let's hope it continues. B-Train? Yeah, I'm not going to pump the brakes. I just didn't like how everything started uh, with this era, with the tampering like we talked about before. I thought that created a cloud over this. And when you trade down out of the three pick and then come back up again, I understand you got the the draft pick for next year. and, And we just hope that it's used in the best way possible. Uh, I don't think quarterback would be the right way to go. Uh, I know people talked about that, but um, I thought it was a solid draft for the Arizona Cardinals. So there's a lot of sporting events on the and dates on the calendar that we always pretend to care about in the world of sports, right? Like pitchers and catchers reporting, or you know, any NHL game. Um, pump the brakes, or that was, sorry, gross. That was a low blow. Uh, pump the brakes or not. The Kentucky Derby should be at the top of that list. Why the hell do we pretend to give a shit about the Kentucky Derby every year? I never pretended to give any cares about the (laughs) Kentucky Derby. I mean, uh, you know, people, they can, they can hype it up all they want, but I mean, it's, it's what, like two minutes of a race that, I mean, if you don't see it, you can see the highlights a million times the next couple days because you, you can see the whole race in its entirety during the, the, the highlights of the next sports center. Yeah. Gross. Why do we care? I took time off uh, from work the other day. They had to draw, you know, the post positions uh, for the 149th <laughs> running of the Kentucky Derby coming up this Saturday from Churchill Downs in Louisville. And the fact that uh, Forte is now a three to one favorite uh, as the horses get ready a couple days out. Uh, but I, I get what you're saying. You know, uh, nobody pays attention. Nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares. They, they, everybody give, give, pretends to care that Saturday morning and for, for no reason. They, 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 nobody cares. Nobody knows. Uh, and the last one, a little pop culture for you guys. Uh, NASA decided to study how long a nap should be. According to the uh, Business Insider, they found the perfect length for a nap is 26 minutes. This comes from NASA. So remember that 26 minutes is what you're shooting for for a nap. You'll be 54% more alert, 34% better at whatever you do next. It's NASA, so you can you can take that to the bank. Pump the brakes or not. Midday naps. Are we pumping the brakes on them? Or is there something to taking a midday nap? Uh, I'll say I wouldn't mind a midday nap. I just don't have the time usually to take a midday nap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they they serve a great purpose. And when you can get one, you by all means take advantage of it. But most work schedules don't allow for you to be able to do that. And nope. mine, unfortunately, fits into that category. So uh, it is what it is. Gross has got banker's hours. You fit a nap in, don't you? I, I would love to get a nap, man. Like, and... <laughs> Just between the three of us, don't tell anybody. On days when I work from home, if I got time during the midday, I, I'm, I don't know that I I don't know that I necessarily fall asleep, uh-huh. but just recline in a little bit, get your feet up, 
turn the computer off and just let your mind clear for a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. I'll set the I'll set the timer for 26 minutes and see yeah, if that's 26. the right one. According to NASA, it, it was, according to NASA, yeah, but, you're only going through the first two stages of sleep in those 26 minutes. You're not getting to that was it REM sleep, that deep sleep, whatever it's called. You're not getting to that. Well, NASA would NASA would know. Yeah. You know, NASA would know. And look. 26 minutes is a lot easier to explain to your boss than three and a half hours. So, uh, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? As today's bumper breaks. Uh, we cannot wrap up the show until we get to the world famous B Train's dad joke of the week. You can see the specs are already on. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's a grading system to B Train's dad jokes of the week. No matter what, when he delivers the joke, you're going to get one of those. If it's a quality dad joke, you're going to hear some laughter. If it's above and beyond, we're going to tell all of our friends. You're going to say, hey, go to, uh, go to Train and Gross. Listen to their podcast. Catch Two Train's joke because it's just that damn good. We're going to tell all our friends about it. You get the standing ovation. But there is that chance that it just doesn't land. And you get one of those. So, B-Train, with nothing further to do, you got the glasses on. You're looking good, looking sharp. Lay it on us. All right, here we go. What's Irish and stays out all night? What is it? Patio furniture. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that one. one. The delivery, especially the video portion of this, should get the the standing ovation on its own. Solid. (laughs) How come you you didn't do your normal thing, Sean Crestman, when you said, get it? Patio furniture? You get it gross because the names and Irish patio. You get it? Patio furniture. (laughs) I like it. Oh, what a perfect way to end episode 102 of Train and Gross. That's going to do it for this this, uh, episode. We'll uh, wrap it up here and remind you one more time. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Train and Gross. And we'll see you next time for episode 103. We're high, love.